keep calm and carry on. We're used to seeing that sign regularly now. It's become quite popular, but a lot of us don't realize the whole story behind it. It was produced by the British government in 1939. You'll see the Tudor crown at the top of it. This was in anticipation of World War II that was coming, and it was to raise morale. So they made 2.5 million copies of this sign, and they were prepared to turn the morale in the correct direction. The interesting thing was it was hardly displayed. They put a couple out, but people responded a little bit negatively to them, so they didn't continue the campaign. And it was really lost for a long time. It was rediscovered in 2000 in a used bookstore called Barter Books. A, man, a woman and a husband had this book uh, shop. She was going through some dusty books and she found the poster and decided to frame it in her bookstore. And people started coming in and they were fascinated by it. And so they began using this as a symbol to give people morale for the things that they were facing in life. And today, it's displayed in gift shops and in corporations around the world as a means to draw morale and courage. Keep calm and carry on. So this is my final message to you this morning. Keep calm <laughs> and carry on. Amen. Oh, so I have been preaching too long. I can see that. It's the first time you've clapped in my preaching since I've been here. You had a passage read for you this morning that I'm actually not going to preach on. I'm going to preach on a different one. The passage that was read for you this morning was the beginning of the church in Ephesus. Paul was called by God to move from place to place to announce the kingdom of God. And when you look at Paul's life and you hear his words, there's an assumption that Paul had, it was a warfare. It wasn't a religious exercise in piety. He suffered severely for the sake of the advance of the gospel. He said things like, your warfare is not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and powers, schemes of the devil. It takes place in the heavenly places, and there's a theater on earth where it is happening all the time. He reminds us that the war is within us. We have our flesh that goes with us everywhere we go. There's a world that's moving away from God, uh, very clear to see in our own society, and there's a kingdom that's set up against our advance. He doesn't tell all this to us so that we would be afraid. He reminds us that we have been invested with weapons that are invested with divine authority and power to demolish the strongholds that are against us. And so he tells the church to stand strong and move forward. This passage in the beginning is interesting because Paul works in team. Nothing happens in the kingdom of God because of one person. God puts vision in people and inspires them for different roles, but then there's a team that comes about that makes things happen. For Paul, it begins with this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, one of my favorite couples in scriptures because when you read the text clearly, you realize that it was God's intention all along that women would be pastors and in ministry. I declare that before I leave. <laughs> to the chagrin of all you... 
to the chagrin of all you people that created these false theologies based on your own culture. This just doesn't work anymore. Priscilla and Aquila were used by God then to raise up Apollos. And Paul meets Apollos in Ephesus, and his scripture tells us that he spent two years there. There was great success in his ministry. It says in that passage that extraordinary miracles were done. I never got to preach this passage. I always wanted to, but this is the passage which says, even the handkerchiefs that Paul blessed were taken out and people were healed. So after this service, I'll be selling handkerchiefs for $39.99 out in the back, out of my trunk. It's amazing the stuff God gives me up here that I never think of over there when I'm praying in these sermons. But there was also great suffering. Riots broke out because the message they had was to bow the knee to Jesus. And the riot had this great declaration, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And they grabbed Paul and they wanted to put him in prison and all kinds of things begin happening. As the scripture tells us at the end of that chapter, so the word of the Lord continued to increase. Here's how the word of the Lord increases throughout scripture and through history. It's through a combination of suffering and God's intervention. I wish part one weren't in that story, but it is because we live in a broken world. But with suffering and the release of the power of God, people began asking what's different about these people, and they were able to lift Jesus up as Lord. And then Paul left Ephesus because it was no longer safe for him to be there. And he traveled and did ministry in other places. We know Luke was with him because Luke keeps talking about we then sailed. It's interesting because the passage I'm going to look at is one of the longest descriptions of Paul saying anything in the Scripture. And so Luke is there taking it all in. So I'm going to invite you to go back to your Bible, Luke chapter 20. I'm just going to read through this passage with you and pull a few pieces out of it. Acts chapter 20, it's on page 1105 in your pew Bible. I want you to know that in my years being here, one of the most glorious sounds that I get every Sunday is when the scripture is read and we're between pages and I hear you all flip the page. It means that you are going deep with the Lord and that has been a blessing to my soul. Chapter 20. Paul meets the elders in Miletus. He can't go back to Ephesus, and he's going to give them their last instructions. Now, elders, listen up. Pastors, listen up. But I want everyone to listen up, because if all of you will do this, there'll be a multiplication in our community that will be ridiculous. And I'll get to come back and see the great awakening that I had dreamed of happening while I was here. I will continue to pray for it, but if you will do these things, it will happen. I guarantee it. I have very few guarantees in life, but I guarantee that one. Verses 17 to 21. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to them, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, 
and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just going to rob from Paul's words, this has been my ministry among you. How I lived among you. You have been the longest community that Ingrid and I have had the privilege of living in. And we just shared life. Paul says in another passage to the church in Thessalonica, he says, we not only delighted to share the gospel with you, but we shared our very lives. There's a richness in our friendship and our experiences together that can never be taken away from us. And so thank you for sharing that life. You taught me how to dress. <laughs> I came here in black and leather and I leave in pinks and oranges. it's been great. We've shared suffering. We've shared joys. We shared life. That's what community does. Thank you for being that. Paul says, I serve the Lord with all humility. I want you to know that this was not in any way a negative thing to you, but I served God before I served you. He is my Lord. That was the nicest children's sermon I could have ever heard. So I'm going to say it now. You're welcome. <laughs> Took you 11 years. You figured out why I was doing it. You're welcome. But make God everything. There's no disappointment in making God everything. See, if you seek first the kingdom of God, all these other things will be added to you. If I had sought all these other things, you wouldn't have been added to me. But I sought the kingdom first, and you've been added to me. And the Apostle Paul can declare that same thing, and I say it. And he says this, I did not shrink. What did he not shrink from? Declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. And that last phrase, of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to use this phrase again later. He says in verse 27, I did not shrink from sharing with you the whole counsel of God. The holy desk. Hang on to the Word. The Word connects you to the living Word, Jesus, and will make your life rich. Jackie, when she walked in today, said, that was amazing last night, wasn't it? And I said, I couldn't believe it. I kind of would like now to live in to be that actual guy you talked about. <laughs> You know, because I live inside me, I know what a dope I am, <laughs> but for whatever reason, God in His graciousness connected me to a love to His Word so early. 
Everything else will fade in its ability to give you encouragement. But the Word, it's a foundation which you can stand on. And so stand on it. Verses 22 to 27. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. Ingrid, ignore those verses. <laughs> That's exciting to me, but I know you're not looking forward to that. Paul did his best ministry in prison, so just hang on to that idea. But I do not count... I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God." Two phrases, constrained by the Spirit. I came here by the Holy Spirit, I've led you by the Holy Spirit, and I'm leaving by the Holy Spirit. Someone, again, last week came to me and said, so what's the real story? <laughs> I came to you by the Holy Spirit, <laughs> I led you by the Holy Spirit, and I'm leaving by the Holy Spirit. I know it doesn't make sense unless you grew up in Cleveland. <laughs> because my dad always said, leave the way Jim Brown did, toss him the football and leave the game while the game is at the very top. Couldn't be better at Stanwich. You've got a team to lead you. You've got the stuff of the kingdom. This is the perfect time. This is why the Spirit is constraining me to go out and share some of the sandwich DNA with other people who don't have it. Those of you who have left and lived in other parts of the world and have come back, you've had that same declaration to say, there's nothing like this place. It would be selfish of me to contain this, even though I could enjoy this till retirement. But we have to go out and do it, so I'm constrained by the Spirit. Paul can do that because he says this, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, only that I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. I have to do this because my life is of no value to me. I could have set up the platform for a great retirement. But why? Why would I do that when there are still places that need to experience the love of God? So, no conspiracy theory. I am constrained by the Spirit. That's why I could freely grieve the way I have these last couple months and still look excitingly to the future. Because this isn't mine. This is all God's. And now the meat of the text, the exhortation, verse 28. 
Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Pay careful attention and be alert. Why? We're in a war. God has staged this for you to launch into the next phase as a church because you need to continue in that war. No yoga next week. (laughs) Maybe for me, but not for you. Pay attention, be alert. Those are, that's language of spiritual warfare. You have a different mentality when you're in a war. Some of you have been alive during real wars. You know what it's like when you're in a war. You put all trivial things aside. You conserve your energy. You conserve your resources because you're in a war. You don't take things lightly. You don't take things for granted. Pay attention and be alert. He says, first of all, to yourselves. Okay, this is for the elders, but it's for all of us. Know Christ and make Him known. Pay attention to yourself. I am commissioning you as people that are responsible for your own spirituality. Now understand that that's by the power of the Holy Spirit and under the instruction of good pastors and elders who will lead you, but take responsibility for your spirituality. Do not wait for the church to give it to you. Watch over yourselves. Watch over yourselves. Same way you come into passion for worship and the Word in this place, do it in your daily life. Create the sanctuary in your own house. Create the sanctuary in your own household. Create the sanctuary in your workplaces. Create a sanctuary in your neighborhoods so that Jesus would be glorified. And when Jesus is glorified, all people will be drawn to Him. And pay attention for all the flock. It's not an individualistic faith. It's very personal, but it happens in community. I did an exit interview with the elders last week, and they gave me several questions to respond to, and they didn't ask me to respond to all of them. There's one they left out. What were some of your most frustrating things about doing ministry in Greenwich? You know what my most frustrating was? How busy you are so that we could not spend time together. When I look at how Jesus did the ministry and I look at Paul moving about in all these places, it was an apprenticeship ministry. They spent time together. If you want to do me a favor in me leaving... Change your schedules. Get rid of those stupid sports leagues on Sunday morning. Your kids aren't going to be great athletes anyhow. (laughs) 
I never let Christian and Linnea miss church to be in club or anything else. Christian was an all-American soccer player in university, and Linnea was an all-conference lacrosse player. Your kids will be honored by God when you honor God. You can be mad at me forever. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Seriously, folks, do you want to see a revival? No, I don't think so. Then change your schedule. Do not give God what's left over. Give Him the first fruits. And watch and see the bounty that comes out of your lives. Why? Well, Paul says here, here's the positive reason. You have been attained by the blood of Jesus. Whew. Do you recognize together how precious you are? You are bought by the blood of Jesus. Not only individually, but corporately. So it's worth being alert. Do you know that this is God's most precious thing on earth? His church. I'm not talking about the building. You've been with me long enough to know that I don't put a lot of stock in the building. But you are His most precious thing on earth. He poured out His blood for you. You are a bride that He's preparing to meet Him and dwell with Him forever. But then the warning, after my departure, fierce wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock. Paul always goes back to the warfare. And even some among you. What's it mean to be a fierce wolf among the flock? It's to enter into false doctrine. It's to create disunity through gossip and complaining and wanting to have it your way all the time. And it's by not being fully engaged in the glory of Jesus Christ. So, stop it. Don't do it. When you do it, you're like a fierce wolf. It's as simple as that. And oddly enough, wolves from the outside have never stopped the church. In fact, when the church has been in the most difficult places, that is when the church has flourished, when the pressure has come from the outside. Pastor David prayed about Syria this morning. I am good presidents with one of the presidents of the denomination in Syria. We were, I was just with him a couple weeks ago. He says in Aleppo, which is one of the places that's been destroyed through war, the church is stronger than it has been in hundreds of years. It's three times the size and two times the size of that church has already left because of fleeing from that country. That means the church has increased by five times in trouble. You want to be alert. Your pastors will be alert to wolves that are out there that threaten the church, but those aren't as bad as the wolves that come from within. It keeps the church from moving into its full identity.
In Revelation, Jesus speaks to seven churches. You remember those opening chapters? One of the churches is the church in Ephesus. So that's only John's writing in the 90s. That's only about 40 years after Paul has established this church and is challenging them. And Jesus says, your toil and patience and endurance has been great. Those are words referring to what has come from the outside. But this I have against you, you've lost your first love. Jesus and one another. So that's the warning. So what? It's a war. The American church has made a mistake in these last 40 years. We've got embroiled in a culture war. And that's never what God had intended for us. He wants us engaged in the greatest war, which is the advance of his kingdom. There's a blitzkrieg coming. Now, here's the good news. You are the blitzkrieg. You remember what Jesus said? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's image of the church moving forward in Jesus' name. Every part of this world is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. We are in enemy territory. As you move out in the church, you are in blitzkrieg. That's why Peter can say to the church, do not be surprised at fiery trials as though something strange were happening to you. That's why Paul's calling was to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And the Lord says to him, he will find out how much he has to suffer for my name's sake. You are on blitzkrieg for the advance of the kingdom of God. Now, the great thing is that your weapons are not weapons of destruction towards people and to society. They're weapons of love towards people, but they are doing battle against the dark kingdom that's trying to keep people in the darkness. So, stay calm and carry on. As Paul, I commend you to the Lord. My now what's going to come from another scripture. You don't have to turn to this one. Hebrews 13, a community that knew what it meant to be in war who suffered greatly and were challenged by the writer to the Hebrews to run their portion of the race, gives these few instructions towards the end of the epistle. In 13 and 7, he says this, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. As you look back on our ministry, the best way you'll celebrate it is if you'll just imitate it. Have faith. Believe God. Look to Him. 
and learn to say, bless the Lord. Looking forward, the writer of Hebrews goes on and adds this word. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Obey your leaders. To make it official, I want you to know from this time forward, I'm a sent one and one of your friends, but I will no longer be your senior pastor. I connect any false lines of authority that would be there. I won't interfere with what God does in this church. If you come to me and suggest anything that needs to happen in the church, I will copy Nathan on my response back to you and say, bless the Lord, that's not my cross to bear. <laughs> that's an old rock song, that's not my cross to bear. I've been listening to it every day for the last three months. <laughs> but I'm a sent one now, and so I'll be reporting back to you of how the things you've invested in us and how you're praying are continuing to bring fruit. But there's a new sheriff in town, a new shepherd of the flock. Jesus is the ultimate shepherd. We just get to be under shepherds. You know the great Psalm 23, which declares that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord is with us. He comforts us with his staff and rod. Shepherd's crook. This was given to me by Neely when I came here. Nathan, I pass it on to you. This is to get the sheep out of those bad places where they go. They go there a lot. <laughs> Did you hear that? This is a symbol of your care as you go before the Lord. The rod is for when they step out of line. <laughs> now, this is for the fierce wolves that are out there. As you take these, may the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit give you more fruitfulness than I've experienced and more delight than I've experienced in being a pastor. You are now my pastor as a sent one, and so I bow the knee. Call me out when I'm not living the way God wants me to live. Tell me the things of the word that will change my life and pray for me. I need the prayer, and you need the practice. Amen. Amen. <laughs>